Yeah. Hello. Hi. This is outrage. <laughs> and optimism. And optimism. <laughs> Clay, I don't know how you put up with us. <laughs> From the top. I'll, I'll give you the cue. Okay. I'll give you the cue. Okay. We got audio speeds, camera speeds. Are you guys recording? We're ready. Okay, Tom, take it away. Hello, welcome to Outrage and Optimism, a new podcast about dealing with the climate crisis and remaking the world. Welcome to our very first live broadcast. I'm Tom Rivikarnak. I'm Christiana Figueres. I'm Paul Dickinson. And I'm Clay Carnell. Welcome, Clay. Clay is the producer and he's featuring on this episode in all sorts of ways. So this is a very different episode of Outrage and Optimism. This is going to be a freewheeling version. Uh, we've been live for about three months now and experimenting with different ways of doing things. Hold on, what does freewheeling mean? <laughs> freewheeling means we have no agenda. We have no particular thing we want to discuss. We're just going to see what happens. Okay. Yeah, it's emergent. It's emergent. Emergent, yeah. emergent. okay, I like but that. But what we do know is that we've been live for three months, we've had mm. a great time, we've interviewed a whole range of different people, and we want to say thanks to everyone who's been listening, who's been dialing in. I mean, I personally would say... Particularly to the people who've been sending us feedback. Sending feedback, we'll get to that, absolutely. Thank you, thank um, you. I mean, I have to say, we started this three months ago with really zero idea of what was going to happen. Sorry, zero experience in doing this. Zero experience, zero idea, um, potentially high expectations in Paul's case. And huge talent. So luckily, <laughs> it was the talent that I think took us through. Right. And the dedication and the vision. Speak right. for yourself. We've been trying Mr. so Dickinson. hard to keep you in your box, yeah, Paul. Well, yeah. You know. Um, so anyway, so here we are after three months, and what we wanted to do is just have this discussion, reflect on where we are, and answer some questions that have been coming in from people over the last few days. So, anything you guys want to kick off with? Christiana? Well, this is rather different from what we've usually it done. It is different. I kind of like that. All right. Because um, I'm very much of a go-as-you-go kind of person. I've, I've noticed that about you. you over the years. Yeah, okay. And I'm also very intuitive. Uh-huh. Um, and so I kind of like just being thrown into cold water. Actually, today it's not cold. It's very, very hot. Very it's hot the warmest day, yeah. July day on record in the UK. In the UK. In the UK, oh. yeah. yeah. And it's been... A record that shall be broken over and over Approaching, feeling unpleasant, I would say. Yeah, Yeah. well, for you Brits, for right. us. For us tropical souls, we're fine. You're fine, yeah. In any event, so um, this is quite delightful. Okay, you're having so a good time, see. Mr. Paul? No, I, I very much enjoy the sound of my own voice. I enjoy um, the, the, the people that, you know, interviewed some very cool people like yeah. um, uh, Theresa May, the Prime Minister, after she declares a, right. a net zero 2050. Uh, Greta Thunberg, who's just an amazing person. They make effigies of... Greta Thunberg, and they, and they march after her, millions of people. I mean, I think you know your career's going well when people are making models of you and marching by the million behind you. Uh, interviewed some great politicians. Uh, and, but my, my, one, of, you know, one thing that just stuck out for me was Ooh. hearing uh, the very distinguished and, and lovely David Attenborough. Um, kind with of whom we premiered. With whom we premiered. Name it, actually, and, and in our first episode, say... He couldn't think about the world his grandchildren lived in. I know that sounds like a terrible and negative thing to bring up, but it was so memorable. I just wanted right. to, to, to highlight that as something that's come out of this. Maybe contrast it with some of the incredible positivity of Aurora. But there's been a lot. There's been a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, going back to David Attenborough, I mean, I think, you know, he's obviously had such a significant impact on, on my life, on our lives, and on so many different people. And that was, I mean, that was a real highlight for me was to speak to him. But I think also... Yes, and you've sort of, you know, you've mentioned Greta. Uh, to me, Aurora was a remarkable human mm. being. And to sort of sit and listen to her and talk she about... She still is a human being. That's true, but we're not currently interviewing her. Okay. But yes, no, thank you. Um, thank you both also for working through that, you know, quite well. <laughs> <laughs> what Carry about you? On. Who's your favourite interviews me? Uh, wow, that's a difficult choice. But yeah, I was actually... Frankly, I was moved to tears by the interview with Aurora mm. because I thought uh, she spoke so much from her soul, from her heart. You know, otherwise, uh, most of the people that we've spoken to are speaking out of their brilliant mind. Right. But to have that conversation that came from a very young woman 
who speaks straight out of her heart, I thought was so beautiful uh, and so unfiltered mm. by the usual mind filters that we put everything that we say through. Um, and I was just moved. I, I was truly moved to tears. Mm. You know who else, and this is probably not expected, but I was also very impressed with William Haig, just because he's such a different sort of person for us to speak to. And he, I thought he had, a, you know, maybe quite a different sense of a philosophy around what we're going to do about climate change. But I really got a sense from him that he really wanted to do something very significant mm. about it and was approaching it from a very different perspective. Mm. And for me, that was kind of really refreshing because we often miss that sort of difference of philosophy with a common objective. And uh, I was very fond of Jane Goodall. You know, I, right. here, here's someone who's the kind of like incredibly famous naturalist. And she gave a, a perfect and very succinct summary of the dangers of certain to types of corporate influence mm. um, on the political process. And I thought, yeah, I mean, I, she, she was just more eloquent and, and deft in explaining things that uh, I normally take an hour or three to explain. She just so, had it. So where do, we, where do we think, where do we want to take this next? What do we want to do next with the podcast? Well, sorry, I thought you had actually invited some comments, questions. That's true. We'll get to those in just a moment. So Clay is going to join us. And I, oh, maybe we should Clay do that first. Gonna, yeah. Why don't we dive in, have a few questions from people who've provided them, and then we'll so see how, where we how go. So how have those questions come in? So we put out a tweet on your account a couple of days ago and on Outrage and Optimism Twitter account and on Instagram. And a few people have provided comments. But more than that, we've had people email in. So the email address is podcast at globaloptimism.com. And we've had about 300 different people really? yep, send in different questions of different Yay. types. There's been a lot of repetition between them. You know, obviously there's, you know, people want to ask particular things, but from all over the world. And we've picked, I think, eight or nine that we're going to, that Clay has picked. We don't know what they are. Clay yeah. has picked yes. them and we yeah. have no idea. Yay. Okay. <laughs> Clay, why yeah. don't you introduce yourself? No one knows who you are yet. Hi, I'm Clay Carnell. You've probably heard my name at the end, if you made it to the end with the credits. And Tom says... Uh, Outrage and Optimism is produced by Clay Carnell. Uh, that's that's <laughs> me. Um, but aren't you going to ask me what your my name favorite right, episode? Clay. Oh yeah, Clay, your favorite oh, yeah. episode. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, Tom's getting my name right. Yeah. Okay, good. Good, um, good job. Yeah. <laughs> Stock clock is right twice a day. <laughs> my um my favorite uh, interview so yeah. far, I think, was. Um, I really enjoyed the interview with Ellie Goulding. Mm. Um, oh, we yes. all kind of met up in, in New York. It was yes, so fun. Yes, that was and, beautiful. Um, my second favorite actually has not released yet, so I'm looking forward to that one. Oh, nice. I'm looking forward to that one, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we should point out, actually, sorry, Claire, we should point yeah. out that no, most of the time we are not in the same place as yeah. the people we talk yeah. to. So Clay does an amazing job of sending people microphones or arranging systems whereby we don't have to get on planes, we don't have to go to different places, but it sounds like we're in the room, but usually we're not. But luckily what yeah. we're doing is we're not releasing our secrets at all. So that's just, you know, if you're listening, just <laughs> yeah. don't tell anyone. That's how we do it. So. Well, Thank you. I, I, you know, and sometimes I'm in the room with the person, but the rest of you are not. We're not, So right. that's, that's our great secret is for people to try to figure out which one, uh, where, where everybody okay, is. Okay, quick question. Have we ever done an interview in which none of, the, of us are in the room? Well, we're all in separate rooms. No, no, no. In the room with the person we're interviewing. Yes, we have. Yeah. Yes, Just, yeah, yes we have. We have, yeah. we have two, actually, yeah. recently. So we're do we getting better say, at this. Do we want to say or do we want to keep no, it No, we don't want I'm to say I'm still working on some software that can replace us entirely and just like <laughs> the app will interview the people and... Or Bill no, McKibben. Getting, Bill McKibben, none of us we're will getting, We're getting better at this because yeah. honestly, we should not yeah. be having it's to get on a bar. plane, train, bus, car. We should actually be able to do all of this, not virtually, but what is it called? Um, remotely. Remotely. Not IRL. Not IRL, which I've just recently learned is... Yeah. In real life. In real life. Is that pathetic that we now have an acronym for IRL? Yeah, for people have more life. and more difficulty with IRL and feel more comfortable with the kind of online environments because they're more immersive and, you know, you can switch it off. Yeah. Clay, what do the people say? <laughs> yes. Tell us what the yes, people say. So want. let's get to this, some of these questions. Um, I've got a few here. Uh, we'll try to keep it uh, to answer as many questions as we can that we have laid out. Well, what factors, what, what criteria do you use to sort through the questions and choose them for us to surprise us? Uh, mostly uh, questions that I felt like we could uh, expound upon and that I felt like would be important to the majority of our audience. Okay, um, cool. So let's just get right into it. Go for it. Uh, the, fir the first question is from Alex from Edinburgh. 
And uh, they ask, do you agree with Greta Thunberg that the UK's target of net zero by 2050 is doing more harm than good? Let me, let me say that one more time. Do you agree that, or do you agree with Greta Thunberg that the UK's target of net zero by 2050 is doing more harm than good? I actually have a little opinion about that. Do you go for it? You go I first. Um, so the target of the UK has two components, as you've just clearly said. One is the net zero, which means 100% reduction, no tolerance for anyone. And the other piece is the date. I happen to think that the no tolerance piece is the more important part. Hmm. Because the psych, and I think we talked about this on one of our podcasts. The psychology that we all humans, you know, uh, operate under is if there's a rule, but then there is a little exception, we all go like, "Well, I'm going to get into the exception of that rule." Right. So it used to be eighty percent. In fact, just a few months ago, it was eighty percent by 2050. And I, you know, I'm I am sure that there were industries, companies, whatever they were saying, "Okay, that's fine for everybody else, but I'm going to be in the twenty percent." Hmm. And so the fact that the UK government actually moved it up to 100% is, to me, the important part. Because then there is no hiding. Then everybody knows we all have to tighten our belt. I also happen to think that once that we change our chip and understand that this is not only doable, but actually beneficial for all of us, that the date becomes somewhat irrelevant because we mm. will be able to get there before provided be it's close enough to affect investment cycles i mean yeah. you know net zero by 2200 would be nobody's business but net no. zero in an investment cycle well but 2050 is within the investment that's cycle. what i mean yeah, yeah. yeah. so the date has to be within the ballpark yeah yeah, yeah yeah but what i'm saying is i you know now that the uk is actually heading for well Intending now we have to move it to heading right. for hundred uh, percent reduction by twenty fifty. My sense is that the UK will be able to do it before twenty mm. forty. That's my bet. Dickinson, what do you think? Call me in twenty forty. Call. <laughs> okay, I'll just make a note. Um, do that. It's an odd thing to say, but I'm absolutely sure they're both right. Which both? Uh, I think uh, Theresa May is absolutely right to declare net zero by 2050. And I believe Greta Thunberg is absolutely right to say that it's doing more harm than good. And what I mean by that, that is a, that is a paradoxical position. But I believe in paradoxical duality. I believe they can be defined and resolved. What we have is someone with enormous political authority declaring something significant for a country and we have someone with enormous social authority, the authority of youth, you know, this is discrimination against young people, saying this is doing more harm than good. And out of that tension, I believe we will move forward to bigger and better goals in future. So I, I think the question, whilst a very good question, is, is gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give it a, a, like an odd answer. That's yes to both. That is such a fudge, Paul. Oh, okay. But luckily, we have Captain Clarity here, one of the, one of the oh, cleanest no. and cl smartest thinkers in the world who's going to give a better answer. Well, I don't know if it's a better answer, but I, I think it comes down to how you think change happens in society. So I think that there is a model of change in which you think that you have to set a direction and then that direction gets fulfilled. And on that basis, I do think that what Greta is saying is that the UK is implying that business as usual can just basically carry on because it's so far away in the future. And so I think from that perspective, I can see what she means. But my perspective would actually be that change happens through a signal and a series of escalating steps on the way to that signal. So you set a target and that sets a direction that leads to a thousand small changes, which then lead to another thousand small changes. So I would disagree that it's causing more harm than good. I think it's a very helpful thing to have. And I think it will get improved as time goes on. And I personally feel like we should acknowledge and recognize when political leaders do bold things like that. Oh, but, but I totally am acknowledging and recognizing right, it. I'm right. just having my cake, eating it and, and, <laughs> and backsliding. Next Fair question, enough. please. Next question. 
the next question is um, from Virendra in Bangalore, and they ask, what technologies do you see emerging right now that you think are going to make a big difference? Mm. What technologies do you see emerging right now that you think are going to make a big difference? There's an almost palpable sense of anticipation coming from Paul as a result of that question. Hurry up, because I'm, I'm chomping at the bit also. <laughs> okay, I'll be very quick. Uh, essentially, uh, we have renewable energy. Everyone loves it. It's going to be huge. Electric vehicles, very important, going to be huge. We have a revolution in food, which is going to be incredible. Animal agriculture is going to reduce far faster than anybody realizes with all this new food science. But the big one I want to offer you is what I call dematerialized economic growth. I mean, when we get you know higher uh, technological capabilities, better video communications we won't travel so much and you know we enjoy our newspapers on our ipads no paper thank you cool i like that mm. I, I would put that also up there at the top are we allowed to have more than one at the top clay more than what what technology yeah oh, of course just, what yeah is it? okay the technologies yeah oh absolutely. technologies okay mm. good insulation so, so it's <laughs> um so i would agree with Paul, that um, dematerializing everything is going to be very exciting. Um, I would add to that the oldest technology we have ever had as a human race. And that would be, come on then, Paul. Using sticks to get into coconuts? Imagination? Well, true. No. Um, Collaboration, cooperation. Well, actually, I defined it wrong. It's not the oldest technology we of humanity has ever had, but the oldest technology nature has had. And I'm looking at it right now. And it is natural carbon capture and storage. Mm. Um, and, you know, for, for much, for so much discussion about geological carbon capture and storage and, you know, the, the cost and the risks and the da 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 da, da um, all of that. But you compare it to biological carbon capture and storage, to what trees can do, and this absolutely brilliant, exciting new report that came out just two or three weeks ago that said that without impinging on the land that we need for food production and without impinging on the land that we need for living for urban areas, that we can reforest, because it's lands that don't have forest right now, Two billion acres. And that is just so exciting. Mm. And here's the deal, right? If we do that, then we could actually capture and store two-thirds of the greenhouse gases that we humans have put up in the atmosphere since the Industrial Revolution. Why are we not doing this? Returning to the climate to something (laughs) like it was in sort of around 1950. I mean, it is amazing. And there is no risk to that technology. There's no safety risk. It is the cheapest technology we have around. It doesn't interfere with food production. It doesn't interfere. It's the most beautiful technology. I mean, who doesn't like trees? You know, you can say you don't like wind turbines. I happen to love them. But who doesn't like trees? Honestly, why are we not doing this? It's true. Um... So I'm going to go slightly different direction. I'm going to say um, machine learning. So I don't know if you guys have seen a paper that came out about a month ago called Machine Learning and Climate Change, and it is, it'll just blow your mind. It talks about the unbelievable phase transition step changes that are possible in efficiency and things like you know distribution of the grid and use of renewable energy, um, in how we design cities and how those cities get deployed and how we use different types of transport. There is kind of no, no area that we have to transform and transition that is not touched and transformed by the ability of machine learning to make it wildly more efficient. Um, and I think it's going to change. Not wildly. Not wildly, because the trees are wild, you mean? The trees are wild, but AI is anything other than wild. Systematically more. Systematically more. Yes, we have to get our adverbs right here. All right, systematically more efficient. There you go. Before the next question, Clay, I'd just like to say that I do think machines, you know, are growing, you know, conscious and, and, and... will be much more powerful than us. And I just want to make a pitch to the you know, our, our robot new masters overlords. in the future that I'm fully supportive of your leadership and I would very much like to be part of the group that you, are considered for continuation. You, you, picked, up, you picked up on my subtext. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Clay, do you, think, do you thank Siri and Alexa every day? Do you say thank you for another day here? Uh, not yet, but I'm more than willing to if yeah. it's appropriate. <laughs> 
That's great. Um, so thank you, Virendra, for your question. Uh, the next question we have is, I like the name of your podcast, and I enjoy the conversations. But Who's it from? Who's I it feel, from? But, oh, I'm sorry. Who's it from? Yeah. Uh, this is actually, this is from Carla, age 14, in Utrecht. Ooh. Oh, hi, Carla. Mm. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. And it's Go a great ahead. question. So, but it starts with a compliment, which is always how you should start a, a great question. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I like the name of your podcast and I enjoy the conversations, but I feel but, much but, more But, but, here out- we go. Yeah, but. Yeah, very but. nicely constructed. Yeah. <laughs> but. But, Carla. I feel much, yeah. much more outrage than optimism. Are you really optimistic? If so, how do you manage to stay that way? And I know that we kind of covered this on a recent episode, but I'm also curious uh, to hear how you all uh, manage to be optimistic as well. I think that has to be you first, Christiana. Well, the first thing that I can say, Carla, is that we're also outraged. It is absolutely, frankly, unforgivable that, uh, that we have known what we're doing for the past 30 years and um, that we have accomplished so little. So, um, you know, your outrage is, is one that we definitely echo. Um, and we echo it a little bit from a different perspective than you because uh, you're 14 and, uh, and, and you're joining um, this planet and we've been kind of around for a while. Um, but what I want you to know is that even those of us who have been around for a while and who have given our lives to this, we're also outraged. So welcome to the outrage team. Um, why do we still remain optimistic? Well, I frankly don't think that we have any other choice. Because um, if we... Outrage has a place and despair and anger and all of that has a very important place and we're there with you. But if that is the only thing that we entertain, then we box box ourselves in to helplessness and to the inability to do something more about the issue. So from our perspective, we don't have that luxury. The climate crisis is one that is so deep that we do not have the luxury of despair. We do not have the luxury of hopelessness anymore. We are now in a position in which we have to A, honor the anger and the despair, and at the same time, hold two realities in equal standing, which is the anger and the despair and the outrage, but also charge forward. Because it's not like we have any guarantee of success, but frankly, failure is completely unthinkable. It is unacceptable. So we have to be able to rally all the forces within us to say, right, this is absolutely unacceptable, and I'm going to do something about it. Because otherwise, we will be saddled with the worst scenario that scientists have given us. Mm. So why am I optimistic? Because I choose to. Mm. And because I think it's my responsibility to be optimistic. Yeah. For you. And, and if I can clarify, she did ask, how do you manage to stay that way? So I don't know if each one of you has maybe a small answer to put you on the spot. Is there something small that you do that helps you? Because um, her question is, how do you manage to stay that way? You know, through everything that we're reading and everything we're seeing. No, I, I got a simple one, which is, builds very much on what Christiana said, but I was at a conference actually, and someone said something which was just perfect. A lot of people were talking about despair and climate change. And this person said, despair is a luxury that is not uh, allowed to people in a real crisis. <laughs> you see, mm-hmm. I, I think we all believe this is a real crisis. And if this is a real crisis, I've got to be completely focused on doing something about that crisis. Mm. And therefore, despair is not useful for me. I think there's also, and I think that both of those are really good sort of philosophical arguments in favour of being optimistic and why optimism Uh-oh, is kind of... oh he's now going to dismiss the whole thing. No, 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 it's no coming, I'm not, I'm it's not, coming. It's yeah, yeah. I can feel the <laughs> wave coming. Carry on. <laughs> But I also, building on that, building on that, think that there are very practical reasons to be optimistic. You know, I mean, I think, and we've talked about this before, there is this exponential curve of impact, which is now coming faster and faster. And you, you only have to look at the news, which is something I don't recommend if you want to stay optimistic. Um, you only have to look at the news around the world, particularly now, this summer, 2019, 
the heat waves, you know, record temperatures get broken and they get broken again two weeks later. It's kind of ridiculous. And if you are in anywhere in the Northern Hemisphere at the moment and you imagine what it's like living in cities in parts of the world where they don't have the ability to get, get cool, the ability to kind of manage these things in a way that those of us who are fortunate enough to live in countries where we do have those things, it's kind of unfathomable what that's like. But I also think with that sort of exponential curve of impact, there is an exponential curve of solutions, which is kind of racing it. And every, I mean, it's hard to appreciate how quickly things are changing now with the way the economics is changing, the way that the economics of, of renewables is changing, the deployment of new technologies. I think we're really going to find out in the next five years if we're serious about dealing with this issue. And I don't think we really know if we are yet. So I'm optimistic that we will make the right choice in the next five years. And there are positive signs that we can really make this transition. And to your second point, Clay, that was implied by the yeah. question, I actually don't look at the news anymore. So I listen to The Daily, the New York Times podcast, and that's how I get my news. It's a much more peaceful way to get news. It's 20 minutes, you kind of get a sense of what's going on, but you're not constantly scrolling, sort of consuming media in a way that kind of drags you into it and drags you down. And that's been a huge part of me remaining optimistic. Okay, can I come back with one more thing? Because um, sure, yeah. I also, a lot of my optimism is my responsibility to future generations, but a whole bunch of my uh, optimism comes from them. Mm. Not because of them, but from them. Because I don't know how many young people I know and I constantly meet who, on the one hand, are really concerned, and some of them have actually even decided they're not going to have children because this is in, in their, um, in their, in, in their um, thinking just too painful to bring children. But... They have decided they are not going to sell their brains to companies that are irresponsible. Yeah. They are not going to give in to the one-use plastic thing, to the whole fossil fuel uh, slavery thing. You know, I mean, I just derive so much inspiration from young people who are changing their lives. And they don't aspire to have a driver's license and a car by the time they're 16 or 18. They're actually much more into a different economy. Uh, and, and, and they're already thinking differently. And so part of me, as I say, is responsibility toward that um, generation. But a lot of my optimism is just from seeing they were born with a different chip. Yay, fantastic. I've got one more thing, but did we hear a beep? We did, and this is the benefits of doing a live stream. I believe we're now running out of batteries in our recorder, which is interfacing with the computer. So while you make your other point, I'm going to plug it in. Okay. So very briefly, um, the thing that actually gives me most optimism is that we are currently expending about 10% of the economy on fighting climate change, 5 to 10%, call it 10%. Probably to, to really save ourselves, all we've got to do is increase that to about 30% of the economy. That, the way I describe it, sounds laugh laughably easy to do, but actually it probably would be pretty easy to do. So, you know, it's not like we're dealing with some kind of giant meteorite heading for Earth that we couldn't fix. All we've got to do is put about another you know, 20% of the economy on climate change and we'll be in a safe place. So that reassures me every single day. So Clay, um, not, not knowing whether Tom can hear, um, why don't you give us another question? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I kind of want to talk to Tom for a second, so I'll wait for him to put his headphones on. But Tom, I didn't know that you listened to The Daily. I also listen to The Daily every day. I, every day. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. Recommendation. Yeah. Um, so let's get to the next question, which is actually kind of a great transition here. It's about the media and Christiana. It's from Costa Rica. Yes. So <laughs> the tiny, wonderful Costa Rica. Dun, dun, dun. Where we have a surprising number of listeners. Well, yeah. I there would hope go. that it's not surprising. Okay. Now, Clay, 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 here's my challenge to you. Can you please okay. read that question in Spanish? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> or pronounce the name of the more. person who sent yeah, it correctly. At least pronounce the name of the person in Spanish. Okay, I can do that. Okay, I'm try. Gonna one, I'm going to one-up Tom. Okay. Mar Marcelo. Good. From Costa Rica. Marcelo from Costa Rica. Perfecto. A yes. ver. Uh, do you think the media is improving in its coverage of the climate crisis? What can we do to make that move faster? 
I do think the media is improving. And, um, you know, I've been, I've been watching this actually since before the Paris Agreement. And um, we noticed a huge uptick in not only media coverage, but media understanding, which is as important as coverage. As we went from 2010 to 2015, there was a huge improvement in both the volume of coverage, the scale, um, but also the understanding. That's not easy, right, for journalists to understand climate change because most journalists have a thousand other things on their docket. Um, and then, you know, we throw this complexity at them and we expect them to put it forward to the public in an understandable way. And so, you know, I have huge respect for um, journalists who, who do that. Um, but then very interestingly, after the Paris Agreement, about 2016, we saw a downfall of, um, of attention of the media. And now it's coming back. Um, and the way that you see that is not only in the number of articles that are coming out in climate change, but how many of the major uh, media companies are actually putting in special budgets to build teams that are going to be covering climate change. That's very new. That has happened, I would say, in the past six to nine months, that all of a sudden you see that, um, that there are specialist uh, journalists on board uh, covering, well, covering climate, co covering all of the other environmental, um, environmental issues. And also, you are beginning to see some of the major media actually take a position on climate and say, right, we are going to cover the facts. We are no longer going to allow the fake news to, you know, spoil our coverage here. Um, and so all of that is very, very good news, very good news. So I'm very happy about all of that. Um, to the second question about how much, what, what the question was, how can we improve that? Um, yes. Um, oh, well, the question is what, uh, that Marcelo has is what can we do to make that move faster? Well, you know, I, I think the, um, the media industry, like any other industry, works on um, supply and demand. And um, so the more interest there is from the public to be educated and to be brought up to speed with what is happening on policy or on science or on investment uh, in, uh, or technology development um, with, related to climate change, the more motivated these media are going to be. So it, it is a self-reinforcing cycle. I think, you know, as, as I said before, I think there is an openness that we haven't seen before, but it has to be fertilized by interest from the users. Mm. I, I think that's, I think generally, I think you're right. Um, but I also... Well, thank you. Well, but generally. Generally. But not specifically. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think specifically, it depends entirely on where you live. So, you know, I've been really interested... Um, with it getting so hot and I've been looking at all the different news websites and seeing how they cover it and if you look at the sun in the UK no mention of climate change you look at Fox News and Breitbart obviously no mention of climate change you know most of these different outlets if you look at them haven't really moved and if you look at the numbers they're massive that those different outlets are using so I do think in general those who are minded to do something about climate reporting are getting better at it but I think there's a large amount. And if you live in certain parts of the world, I think the majority of your media still doesn't do it properly. And I think that's where Marcelo's coming from, right? right. Because yeah. I think mm -hmm. even in a country like Costa Rica that is very environmentally committed, um, if the implied message from his, message, from his question is the Costa Rican press is not delivering right. enough coverage, I would totally agree. Oh, really? Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, just a final thing for me is that I think... The most important thing in the world is the public understand how serious the situation is. Probably the most dangerous dollar in the whole world is one that is used to suppress information about climate change going to the public. I hope we're seeing a decline in that mm. fantastically irresponsibly spent money. It is vital that the public are told about this criti critical issue. Clay, next question, because I know we, we're, on a, we're on a time penalty because you've got to go. <laughs> yes, we've got a couple more questions. Uh, this one is actually from Paul in London. Uh, okay, this is this you, is, Paul? Is it a different call? I, I, I gotta go. The phone's ringing. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait. Make him sit down. And he needs to sit answer this. Sit down. He has to answer this. He, actually, he'll, he'll be interested in this question. Okay. Uh, 
The question is, why don't you let Paul Dickinson do the interviews? <laughs> Paul? It's, it's, it's a bit awkward for me to talk about this. I, I was involved in, in some of the early interviews, and a lot of the time, the, the, person, the other person was doing more talking than I thought was appropriate, and I was... <laughs> I was making my point. They didn't realize that their role was to make you look good. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And so, Christiana and Tom. Hopefully, the message is coming through as to why he's not. Sorry. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) It's a stupid question. Next question. Actually, there's no reason for that. There's. The serious answer to that question, there's actually no reason for that. Yeah. Well, actually, I've got a job and I have to kind of work, whereas these two are kind of, you know, saunter around the world. You know, sorry. Well, Paul from London, thank you for your question. Did that really come from someone called Paul from London? Paul from I London. I did send it, actually. <laughs> Paul, comma, from London. Okay, so the next question, we're going to the United States. And uh, the question, there's a little bit of a story here, and then the question gets towards the end. So let me read this to you. Um, this is from Rachel from the great state of Texas. Um, Rachel says, I am 27 years with friends getting married and on the path to kids all around me. Mm. I can't help but wonder if it's better for me to not have kids. Yeah, I, It would mean fewer humans using resources, and also I don't want my future children to have a life of turmoil and being unable to thrive. Hmm. Would it even make a difference if I did not have children, or should I have kids and teach them how to protect the planet? It's from Rachel. Hmm. Guys, any thoughts on that? I got a quick answer. Nobody says there's too many insects. The insects are our friends. They go and eat all our trash and turn it into lovely things. Um, the, the problem isn't necessarily there's too many people. It's, it's how they live. Um, and so if you're going to create the, the perfect citizen who's going to you know, create the new structure of society that saves us, go ahead and do it. Yeah, I think that's a that's a and interestingly that is a comment from a man who has chosen not to have children because of climate change. So that should be pointed out, which is interesting. And also, it's not that we have too many insects; we have too few insects, by the way, because right. we've killed insecticide. Most. Yes, yeah. um, I think this is a really difficult issue, and I, I think, think it too. comes down to climate change. But I also think it comes down to you know there was a time in history when children were assets and they're liabilities now. You know, you have children, and it changes the whole pattern of the amount of money you need, on how you choose to live, the types of places you might want to live. And, um, and that's, a, that's, that's a decision that increasingly people are making new choices on. I found about this new movement the other day called FIRE, Financial Investment for Retirement Early, where people are realizing that they're never going to be able to afford the deposit on houses with crazy house prices and instead are choosing to kind of invest money and then kind of retire early and, and live a sort of more relaxed life and not be part of the rat race. And that's a slight aside to say that um, new types of choices are legitimate in this very new world that we're in. And I don't think that I would be very sad to feel that people are feeling forced into a corner to make certain choices about children at this point because of the climate. And I think if somebody really wants to have kids, they should have kids. And they should raise them to do all the things that we know they will if they have, have asked that type of question. Um, but I think also, if, you know, there are people who kind of decide to make a different choice for their lives. And I think that people shouldn't feel forced to have children either because that's the socially acceptable thing to do. So we're going to have to figure this out as we go and as we feel our way through in this new world. But I, I think there are a lot of people going through the same thing that Rachel is going through at the moment. So I I also think that this is a very, um, it's a question that goes deeply into my heart. Um, And I think what is truly wonderful about the question is the fact that so many young women, some men as well, but so many young women are asking themselves the question. I think that is the beautiful part about it. Because in the past... There was no question that the role of any woman was to procreate herself. That's what you're here for. And, uh, you know, women used to get married or have started having children very early. Um, and that was their biggest contribution to society. And in fact, families were judged uh, according to whether they had children or, you know, in the worst of all cases, whether they had male children because female children didn't count. 
Um, and so what I think is very important is that we're beginning to break that mold. And we're beginning to say, just because I am a woman that has procreation ability doesn't mean that I have to procreate. It actually means that I, as a responsible human being, can choose whether I'm going to have a child or not. And either answer is absolutely correct because each one of us has to make that decision and has to come up with the answer. So there's not like there's a right answer or a wrong answer. What is fundamental is to ask ourselves the question, do we want to do that? And increasingly, I must say, young men are being part of that question. How fantastic is that? Now you have couples actually that come together and really talk about, okay, it's not automatic that just because we are a couple, we're going to have one or two or three children. No, that's not, there's no automaticity. Is that a word in English? Can be. Okay, we've made it now. There's no automaticity um, to, to, you know, being a couple and therefore you have to have children. Now you're seeing much more thoughtful consideration of this as a couple or as a, as a um, lone standing woman. Um, and I think that that's progress because we have to be able to break so many molds that, that we have inherited in the past um, that lead us without thinking into behaviors and actions that have led us into this problem. So stop, think, and make a choice. There's no right or wrong choice, but make it deliberately. <laughs> I think one or two may be better than three or four, but yeah. <laughs> Clay, another question? <laughs> yes. Okay. So this is our last question of the day. Can I just add into that very last question? Sure. So Clay is going to have a baby in a few Yay! months. And it's a fantastic <laughs> And it's great that you're going to do it. <laughs> Well, thank it's wonderful. you. Thank and, you. And, and Clay, hold on. So I'm assuming, am I assuming wrong that the two of you really thought about that and made an intentional choice? Absolutely. But I don't think that kind of like what you were saying, Christiana, my personal decision doesn't necessarily mean that someone else should also make that same exactly. decision. But um, my wife, Ray, and I decided uh, specifically to have children and kind of how uh, Rachel in the question here um, said, uh, should I have kids and teach them to protect the planet? And that's fully our intention. Yes. So mm. we went with that side of the choice. Um, or we went with that choice, I should say. And that's what, that's what we're moving forward doing. Nice. Yay. Yeah, we're re and we're, we're really excited too. Um, okay, so we do have uh, one last question and it's from Patrick in Berlin. And this is a very uh, topical question of the time. Uh, and it's our last question. What do you think of Boris Johnson becoming prime minister? And do you think the UK will do a good job of hosting the climate negotiations in 2020? I will turn the first part of that question over to the two British citizens, and I'm happy to answer the second part. Carry on. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a little bit difficult to feel good about anything to do with the way the UK is being governed at the moment. Um, you know, our friends in the United States may feel very sad about the government which they have, and no doubt they do, and many terrible decisions are being taken. But the UK, I mean, my memory is the UK used to be a fairly moderate, sensible country, making good decisions about a range of things, and it seems to have gone completely crazy. And, um, you know, there are certainly people in the new cabinet who are climate skeptics, who have had very questionable views on immigration. I personally really struggle with the whole concept of Brexit, so I can feel quite distraught about the situation in the UK at the moment. Having said that, Boris Johnson surprised me when he was mayor of London uh, on climate and other issues. I think he is a political opportunist. Um, and I think if he senses that the wind is blowing in the direction of which strong action on climate change is good for him politically, um, then I think we've got a shot at him not being terrible, actually, on climate change in the UK. And I think that comes back to... Extinction Rebellion, to the civil disobedience, to the people on the streets. I mean, it couldn't be more important at this moment that that momentum is built up and taken further. I feel quite different about the COP hosting, actually, where I think that could be quite positive, but I'll leave that to Christiana. And just a very brief word on, on British politics before Christiana tells us about the COP. I, I do think there's, a, there's something 
rather wonderful, actually, about British politics at the moment, and that is left and right are tearing themselves apart. We've got Brexit, and it just kind of looks crazy. And yet we have an extraordinary consensus on climate change, it would appear, mm. cross-party, a great climate change law, climate change commission, uh, committee coming up with great plans for the country. So there's a lesson in there that actually you can still kind of rip each other's hair out and, and have a, a, an agreement on climate change. But uh, what mm. about the COP, Christiana? So um, I'm actually quite confident that the COP is in very good hands here in the UK. Uh, still to be announced is in what city it will take place, so that'll be an exciting decision. Um, but who the COP president is has already been decided. So Claire Perry, uh, who was actually the uh, Minister of State who led the UK delegation in Paris, uh, will be the COP president. And uh, because she was the head of the UK delegation in Paris, I know her quite well, and we work quite uh, quite um, closely together. And I know that uh, I know that she really understands this issue. That she's not one prone to be taken to the extreme on either side. Um, she's not one for ideologies. She's a very practical person. Um, she wants to get this solved in a way that is good for everyone. Um, she has very much her feet on the ground, and I think she will do an extraordinary, um, an extraordinary job. Uh, and she already has many of the relationships that are necessary because right. a lot of this is about personal relationships. In addition to that, she apparently, maybe this will change, but this is going to be her exclusive job. Yeah, that's great. I mean, obviously she has responsibilities to her constituency. Does she, does she, does she report to the Prime Minister, do you know? Well, this? I don't know who she's reporting right. to. Because that would be amazing. But um, the fact that it doesn't seem like she's going to have a cabinet position and a whole other you know, range of issues, I think people who are not very close to this underestimate the amount of work that it is to carry the political baton for any negotiation, 2020 being the negotiation that is as important as the 2015 in Paris. Mm. This is it. I mean, between 2015 and now, well, of course, we'll have a COP now in Chile, but the, the, um, the results of this year are not as critically important to the future of this planet as the results of next year. So the fact that she has, if, at least until we're proven wrong, been freed from everything else and just focusing on that, I think is absolutely fantastic. And I cannot remember another COP president, certainly not during my time, which is before COP started. I can't remember any other COP president being in that luxurious position of having mm. one job to do. Um, so I think all of that is fantastic. And to add to that, I think the fact that the UK as a country is hosting is very symbolic. Mm. Let's remember that this is where the Industrial Revolution was born. This is the country that led the world into using, to mining and using coal. This is the country that bred coal miners, coal workers. This is, this is where that whole thing was born, right? Um, and the UK today uh, can proudly say that it has come off the addiction of coal, which just... 10, 12 years ago was more than 50% on the energy grid, and it's now less than 4%. In fact, many days, zero coal, yeah. because I follow it on a daily basis. Um, and that's fantastic. What an example. Yes, yeah, huge. What an example for other countries um, to be able to be inspired by, um, by the experience of, uh, of the UK. Um, and then, of course, the fact that the UK has taken on this zero net emissions by 2050, which is frankly what everyone is going to have to do. So, yeah, I definitely celebrate that uh, COP26 is going to be in the UK. Getting patriotic. <laughs> it's an unusual feeling. I'm going to sing God Save the Queen in a minute. But... <laughs> cool. That's all the questions, is it, Clay? That's all the questions. Okay. I mean, that was, that was a great, very different episode of Outrage and Optimism. Um, as I said earlier, we've been live now for three months, and we're now going into August, where we're going to take, at varying times, bits of time off. So the next few weeks of the podcast are going to be a little different. 
They might be some conversations that we're having. There might be some other things that Clay some puts great together. Interviews. Some great interviews that will come out, but they'll just be have a slightly different style. And then we'll be back to our normal delivery um, in a few weeks' time. We'll put the date out on Twitter. We'll put it out in one of the future podcasts. We really, really appreciate all of you listening to the podcast, coming with us on this journey. It has gone further and faster than we could have imagined when we started it three months ago. So thank you so much for joining us. And any closing words, fellow co-hosts? Can I say something? Of course. Okay. Yeah. Well, I just want to say to everyone who sent us in questions, thank you so much. Um, it was really fun to go through the questions. And if you have more questions, obviously I have questions. Paul has questions. We'll probably email ourselves the questions. Uh, <laughs> we Send them to us at podcast at globaloptimism.com. Nice. Thank you, Clay. Look, my last word, I was saying it earlier. I don't know if we, we picked it up. We're only spending 10% of the economy right now fighting climate change. If we get that up to 30%, we're all going to be fine. For the sake of our children, for the sake of our society, this is easy to do. We can do it. We've got to do things differently. But it's such an exciting time. That's me. Well, I was going to say something much more mundane. Go for it. I was going to speak about the podcast itself um, and say, as, as we admitted in the beginning, we really started um, from truly from ground zero without having any idea of, uh, of, of podcasting, if that's a verb. Um, and what we would really like to do is to learn from you. We would really love, thank you for sending the questions, and I'm sorry that we only got around to a few of them, but we would really love if you would send in suggestions of how do you think we can make this better? How do we make it more informative? How do we make it more varied? How do we make it more fun? How do we make it you know, more accessible to more people? Um, you know, our, our aim is that every single person that listens to the podcast will actually recommend it to at least 10 people and say, you know, you really have to listen to this because we believe that there's a message here that is, um, that, that is quite, um, quite new and, and quite helpful in this battle that we have with, with climate change. Um, but we're still learning the ropes. And so we would love, we are very, very fervent believers in collective wisdom, and we would love to learn from you. So, you know, send us the questions, but also send us suggestions as to uh, once we get back into the saddle, which will be, I don't know, sometime. A few weeks. A few weeks. Um, what else can we do? What can we do differently? What can we do more of, less of? What Be would you better. like? What can we do better? What can we do better? Be better. Yes. That's a very good note to end on. All right. Clay, why don't you take us out? Okay. This has been an, an another live, well, our first live, another episode of Outrage and Optimism. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, Global Optimism. And if you have any questions or suggestions, you can email them to us or comment, uh, or reshare, or retweet, or anything like that. We read all the comments, we read the emails. We'd love to hear more from you about how we can do this better. So please reach out to us, let us know. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. 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 Bye.